Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are joined by Tiama Hansen-Drury, CPO at Mina Technologies. Now Mina is an embedded fintech that allows retail bank customers to manage their subscriptions without leaving their retail bank app. Tiama is an internationally recognized product leader, board director, C-suite exec, public speaker, corporate advisor, and leadership mentor. Her chief product officer experience spans the US and European roles in large multinationals and high growth tech scale-ups. So she is here today to share her story and some of the lessons and learns along the way. Tiamba, it is great to have you finally here with me on the show. Thanks, Nadia. I'm so excited to be here. And it's so nice that we actually got to meet in person serendipitously a week ago, but now seeing your face again, this is a good month, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just so happy to have you here with us. So before we go into everything about you, just tell us a bit more about Mina and what makes it so special. Sure. Okay. Well, this is one of the the passion points. I love to talk about this. So I joined Mina a little over um, a year and a half ago, um, actually due to your firm. And I joined for a few reasons. First, as a product person, every time that you're looking at a potential job, you look at the product and you think about like, what's it going to be like to tell people that I work on this product? And you, you kind of try it on, right, with the people in your network. And what I found really interesting is I was telling people about the product and every single person was like, oh my gosh, that sounds awesome. How do I get that? Can I get that? Can I get that in my bank? Like, it makes sense. And it's because it's such a simple thing, right? What Mina does is there's, you know, the, the huge hockey stick growth of subscription economy, right? Uh, the companies like Zuara out there have done a phenomenal job building the marketing around the subscription economy. What that means is that almost every person I talk to has a subscription, right? And actually on average, they have like 11. And so what they know about that subscription is that it's one, hard to remember that you have it because we sign up for them so easily. It's literally like sometimes signing up with like, switch of a button. And it's also difficult to stop spending on those subscriptions when you need to. And here we are recording this at a time of, you know, record level inflation, um, extremely high cost of living, macro events like that often have major shifts on when people want to take control of discretionary spend and subscriptions are one of those things. So what our product does is we make it like self-serve easy for you to manage your subscription in your retail bank. And so every time that I told someone about that, they were like, oh my gosh, I need that because everybody knows that they would like to, if, if it's not about canceling a subscription, it's at least they want to pause it when they go on their summer holidays or they're not watching, you know, they're not streaming from Netflix anymore because they just finished the extraordinary attorney woo plug for that show. Uh, and so, you know, like they want that control and that's what our product does. So it's, it's a really fun one. That's why I joined is one, the product was great. Two, the leadership team and the investors were great. Three, the culture was amazing. I mean, just very unique, typical Swedish fintech, just doing really special things. And lastly, you see the impact on people. Like that's really what it's about. I, I care a lot about financial literacy and building up financial competence. And this, in my way, is a way of contributing to that because we tell people that they're spending a certain amount of money on subscriptions and we let them control that spend in a way that works for their budget. Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? And and I can imagine, you know, when, when I first heard of Mina and, and, and what it is that you do, of course, I was like, great, this is something that I need to be able to take control of my finances. 
Now, there's another angle to this that I want to just delve into. Your role, Chief Product Officer, what's the best way of explaining that to people that don't know what it means? Mm, yeah. Well, so Chief Product Officers are responsible for, at the very top, we have to have the vision for what our product is supposed to do, right? And a product exists only to deliver, as I tell my teens all the time, they're so annoyed with hearing me say this, but it exists only to deliver on the business goals of the company and to deliver the company vision. So for us, we, you know, we want to remove the friction from the subscription economy. And we want to do that by making sure that everybody benefits, whether it's the retail banking or the fintechs that we sell to and embed our product into, whether it's the subscription merchants who want to access consumers and another part of an omni-channel strategy in the retail banking environment, or whether it's the consumer, it's the Nadia who says, yeah, I would really like to take control of my subscriptions. So for me, it's about what is the vision? What's going to be materially different because our product exists, right? Our technology works in a certain way. And it's painting that vision both for the investors, but more importantly, I would say for the teams that are responsible for delivering it. And then it's creating the strategy for how do we do that? It's nice to say that we're going to have a subscription management tool that removes friction from the subscription economy, but how? Like what, how is that going to happen? You know, what features is it going to work? Who are we going to sell it to within the banks? Why are they going to buy it? Why do they think it's worth paying a certain amount for it? Um, how do we measure the effectiveness of that? What's the performance standard? So that's the kind of strategy and the KPIs that measure that we're actually on track for getting to that place. And so I lead the product, the design. I work very closely with our engineers and our onboarding teams to make sure that that whole vision is translated into a real experience for our bank customers, for their cardholder customers, uh, the consumers, and then also, of course, for the merchants who they get benefit because hopefully fewer people cancel subscriptions and they're more likely to pause them or to change plan or other fun things that we give them access to do. And this is why I was so excited to have you with us today to explain all of this because product is so central to the scale, to the success of a fintech. What would be really interesting now is if actually you take us back a bit, tell us a bit more about your career journey and what, what has got you here today to being the chief product officer at a major fintech. Sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I started in sales. I was a salesperson. started as a sales assistant and I worked my way up to an account executive. And then I worked my way up to a strategic account executive and then into leading strategic business development. And by the time that I had finished kind of my sales and commercial arc, what I noticed was happening was there was a pattern. There was a pattern of partnering deeply with my clients on things that solved problems for them. And they weren't our standard solutions that were off the shelf, if you will. They were building solutions for them. And I was working with our data teams. I was working with our engineers. I was working with our marketing teams. I was working with our legal teams, trying to kind of figure out like, okay, you know, this client wants to get Facebook data and they want to combine that with survey data because they want to not only see that Nadia and people like Nadia say that they're willing to buy this product, but they want to see like what brands have they liked on Facebook and like how would that, you know, go into ad targeting, you know, and I realized that as I was creating those solutions um, in an ad hoc way, other clients were hearing about them and they were saying, hey, I heard what you did for, you know, Warner Brothers. Can we talk about doing that over here at Sony or can we talk about doing that over here at Netflix? And so I started to say, like, what is this? Like, what is this thing that I'm doing? Very interesting. Way more fun than just selling for me. 
And I discovered at that point, I think it was like early, like 2010, that there was this whole discipline. I, at the time I lived in Seattle, very tech heavy, kind of a satellite at the time of San Francisco and the Valley. There was this whole discipline called product. And so I negotiated, I took a 60% pay cut because we know salespeople get paid a lot, but I negotiated to go into, for me, it was a product marketing role is what I was able to get first because I had a communications background and I knew our customers quite well. And then I just spent the next 15, 20 years or whatever, working my way up, going from product marketing person to product owner, to group product owner, to product director. And now I'm lucky enough to be leading the entire show for me from a product perspective. Super valuable for you to share that story because I can imagine that you know that that moment of pivoting from this high salary into something that you knew was was going to be so central to so many companies it was a step back to make that step forward and you know there, there could be many people right now who are at the top of their game in something but may may look at something else and say actually I could make that pivot and that could be better for me for the long run and I know that that's played a, quite a big part in all the work that you do for your leadership mentoring, the fact that you spend so much time on inclusion within the industry and women in leadership. I just wanted you to share some of that work that you've been doing with us also. Yeah, I would. And I think you hit something, you're you're such a good interviewer, Nadia. You hit something very insightful. I hope every single person that's listening to this understands that sometimes we take a step backwards to take a step forward and you shouldn't see that as a failure. Now, you and I know that I am a, beast when it comes to negotiating for ourselves as uh, I've been told by almost every company I work for wow you negotiated well and that's because I know my value right and and I'm confident in that but sometimes you need to know your value is going to be best expressed by making a change and sometimes you have to be realistic I'm not going to go into a entry level product role and be making that salary that's reflective of bringing in $5 million quotas, like that's just not going to happen, right? So you need to understand yourself and what really drives you and what motivates you and then be okay that sometimes it means taking a step backwards. You know, now I obviously I make the same amount that I did then, but it took me time, but I'll just tell you, I'm a lot happier. I'm a lot happier. I feel a lot more purposeful about what I'm doing because it really resonated with the things that made me happy. What didn't make me happy was waking up at midnight every night stressing about making my quota, you know, that just wasn't a good lifestyle for me. It wasn't good. So, you know, the leadership and the inclusion stuff I do is really all around. I mean, I I think there's kind of two things. Like for me, I only know how to operate in one way. I often call it like all in leadership. And it's from meant to be like one, I lead with vision and passion and that's giving my all into it. But the other is all in bringing people to the table, building a longer bench, right? Because I know that you build better products when you have different perspectives in the room. If we only built things from my perspective, I'd be bringing a predominantly West Coast tech, liberal, privileged perspective to everything I do. That's not the audience I need to be appealing to. That's not the audience that I want my products to be used by. So I'm going to bring as many diverse people into my teams, into my company, into the focus groups. One of the things I'm incredibly proud of our teams is we really push to try and have as many diverse inputs at each step of the way. And so, you know, like everything from user research to who we're bringing in to help us from agencies' perspectives to the way that we present and the teams that are behind those presentations. Like I try to keep it diverse and not just diverse, like capital D, like small D, right? People who come from different economic backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different countries, different parts of countries. It's not all urban we hire and we try to hire wherever the best talent is. So my work is really about just trying to 
do two things, be an accessible point for people to talk about those passion points with me, because I think to build competence around any issue, you need to talk about it. You need to try the ideas on, you need to speak about them and kind of, at Mina, we call it rubber ducking. We need to rubber duck on the idea and talk about it. And then the other thing is just being the change and being visible. You know, I never, I really underestimated how important that was, but I started to get it when I went, moved into positions of leadership, I would get feedback from people who identify as male, female, non-binary, and they would all say, hey, it's super inspiring to see you in this role. It gives me, you know, motivation. And I thought, that's silly. I'm just me. But then actually I was like, no, you know what? Because I do look different than a lot of people that they're used to seeing. And so that's the other thing. It's just trying to be there and be an accessible point of contact. It's interesting, isn't it? Because there's a responsibility that comes with that. And when that awareness clicks in that, oh, oh, actually it isn't just me and it isn't, it isn't only about me. It's much bigger than that. And I'm, I'm quite fascinated about that moment, that sort of click moment when that responsibility really comes to the fore. And, you know, I love asking the question, where did the passion for inclusion and women in leadership come from? But, but actually what I'd really like from that question is, you know, that moment when you, you knew that there was a problem in the industry, but it was the moment that you were like, you know what, I'm going to start doing something to make that difference. And that to me is the crux of all of these pods, because I would love every listener to go, right, I'm going to go and do something now, you know? So that's my question to you. What was that moment? Gosh, he'd probably be mortified to know it. But one of my old bosses, he said to me, I don't want to use a curse word on this, uh, so I won't. But uh, he said, there's a fine line between being a witch, it starts with a B, and being aggressive. And I just remember thinking, you would never say that to a man. You would absolutely never say that to a man. And then that same year, somebody, a woman I knew was negotiating for a salary rise. and She had a peer that was a male. She actually had more experience. She had managed a bigger region. She had performed better. And she was told, you're already making more than so-and-so. You should be grateful, right? And I just remember those two things, they happened. I was like, you know what? No, nope no, I'm not going to just deal with this on my own. I'm going to get involved. And that was like probably 15 years ago. And I found an organization that was dedicated to building women in the profession that I was in. And I started volunteering and I started creating, you know, grassroots programs at my company. And since then I've been involved always. I dedicate about 20% of my personal time to volunteering and that's both through the organizations that I'm participating in. So women in product, women in research, Equity Army, which is all around inclusive product, but also through mentorship. I mentor a woman in Seattle through women in product. I mentor a woman in Barcelona through women in research. I mentor several people at my company informally. I give a lot to that stuff because I realize one, that I have the capacity to but if I can, I think Michelle Obama said it, and I just love it. Like when you've gone through something and I'm not going to quote it per uh, perfectly, sadly, she's probably not listening to me, so she won't notice that anyway. But you know, when, when you've gone through something and you've, you've achieved success, like you don't just stop there and like touch your shoulders and think, yeah, I'm great. You reach back through that door and you pull people forward. And that's really what drives me is like, give that time, give that energy I think it all started from that guy who is a friend, a dear friend today. I don't think he had any idea what a catalyst that was for me. And there's been moments like that along the way where I'm just like, are you tone deaf? Like, do you know what you just said? It is so wrong. And I just want to be that change. I want to show people that they can be that change too. 
So it really gave me like a uh, like a shiver when you said, look, you reach back through that door and you pull people through. This to me is the absolute crux of it all. It's taking that mentorship through to actual out loud advocacy and opening those doors and giving people options and chances and opportunities. And I, I love the way that you've explained that. And if that's not the exact quote, well, it, it really came across perfectly. And, you know, look, you've mentioned a couple of things here. You know, we've spoken about negotiation and how good you are at that. So I'd love a couple of hints and tips around that. But also, you know, a large part of this has been around you identifying transferable skills in your career and being able to build that up. So I wanted just for you to share a few of your thoughts around those things as well. Sure. Yeah, I, I suppose for that, the best way to think about it is I think about myself as <laughs> it's silly to say, but I kind of think about myself as a product, right? I, I think about myself as a product. So I was saying earlier, like my job as CPO is to have the product vision that delivers the feature you want to have the strategy to get there and to know the KPIs that are going to kind of measure that. And, and for me, I've always thought about myself in that way. So I know what my product vision is. I know that at the end of my life, and the end of my career, what I want to have left, the meaningful change that I want to do, right? And then I think about my strategy. How am I going to do that? So my vision is I want to build things that add value, but I want to do it in a way that's inclusive and empowers other people. And that sounds really fluffy, but actually what that means is I'm going to, from a strategy perspective, I'll always lead with vision, right? It's so much easier to know where we're going if, they, if you can paint that picture. I always lead with empathy right? That's super important in product. You need to think about other people and their other experiences, but it's also important in managing and leading others. And I try to lead with vision, uh, excuse me, with humor too. And through that vision, empathy, and humor, I really try to give context to the people about what we're trying to do, what their empowerment is, what their budget is, what their, what my expectations are. So with high autonomy comes high accountability. And through that, I give people a chance to really perform. And like my KPIs are that my people are accomplishing their goals, obviously, that my team is advancing in their career and that my team has high CSAT scores. So when you go back to like, okay, transferable skills, well, that's transferable in any set, right? I can take that. I can pick it up and go anywhere. People were really surprised that I moved from customer uh, experience, ad tech, martech into fintech. But it actually isn't that surprising because I've worked with fintech clients my whole career. So I understand. And actually product is just about understanding a problem and des delivering a repeatable, scalable solution to it. And you can augment, again, you can augment yourself with the people who you don't know things. So I came in, I didn't know what, you know, BRP was. I didn't know what these things were. So I brought, I, I had smart people with me who explained it to me. So that's the transferable skills. Think about what you're doing and abstract out, like, don't think about like, okay, well, at my job, I do this with this, 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 and this. It's like, no, abstract out a layer. What are you doing? What's the value you're creating? And is that probably valuable in other places? Yes, I think it is. And if you go into those interviews with confidence and you can talk about how that's transferable, my guess is a lot of people could change industries uh, and roles more easily. And then I guess the negotiation comes also from thinking about myself as a product, because I think about the value that I am amassing all the time. And I'm confident, you know, as a product person, you do research like on your competitive set, the market changes that are happening, the regulatory changes that are happening, the technology changes that are happening. And I think about what's happening in my role and what's happening in my industry. And how are, you know, I reached out to you recently and said, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get some information on salaries and what's happened in the product world over the last year. Because I, I want to negotiate with my teams and I want them to negotiate with me. So I pull that data in and I just try to arm, you know, I go with confidence. I mean, do you know that like, 
I think it's 60% of women have never negotiated their salary and that the majority of people like 75 or 70% women say that they will leave a job to get a salary increase and do it at that company. I mean, anyone who's listening, think of how awful that is. You're going to lose your female talent because they don't want to negotiate with you and they don't know how to negotiate with you on their, their worth. That's so much less valuable for you as a business. So, you know, encourage your teams, show them how to, to do this. I do things like using market data. I talk to, you know, recruiters. I talk to other women about what they earn. I talk to other people in my role about what they earn. And then I go in and I try to create a very compelling case for whoever would be the decision maker, whether it's, you know, at my point, the compensation committee for the executive team or whether it was my manager. And I ask for it and I negotiate and I try to remember negotiation isn't just cash. There's lots of things that are meaningful to me. There's the ability to travel. There's the ability to invest in my professional development programs. There's equity. There's you know, time off, there's all sorts of things. So, you know, then I try and negotiate. And I suppose, yeah, those are some of my tips. Like, I, because I think of myself as a product, I think about continuously evaluating myself annually and thinking like, am I getting paid for what I'm doing? Am I investing in myself in terms of the skills that keep me cutting edge? Am I demonstrating the value? Am I marketing myself effectively? Those have been some things that have helped me, I guess. I don't know if that's useful. That is so useful. And stuff that everybody can take on board, like, I love that concept of building evidence around things, like always being ready to give that evidence to say, this is the value that I bring. And I think that is something that we've, we've almost got to retrain ourselves to, to do. Like I've, um, I heard it in a, in a panel talk that I was within um, a couple of years ago, but having a folder in your inbox where you just forward yourself, every achievement, you just forward that to yourself. So at any point that you need to represent yourself well, like a product, you've got the evidence right there because I forget everything, everything good I've done, I forget. I tell you what, I remember the stuff that I didn't do well, but the stuff I do good, I forget. And that's part of my psyche that I need to work against to look after my career. So it's really, really helpful what you've shared. And I can't believe that we're already at the final question. I feel like we could talk forever. But my final question is all about the fact that when I opened up this podcast, I said, we're here today to walk the talk. And I love inspiring the audience to go and do something so my question to you is what would be your call to action for the audience listening to this podcast oh wow there's so many things but I think there is I'm looking up right now so it's Rashma Sajani who said it be brave not perfect I think that's been a very important mind shift for me it's about being brave I don't need to be perfect right and we know that women often I mean I, I'm trying to get a friend to go for a role right now and I sent them the job description and she said, oh yeah, but I can only do these three things. And I was like, who cares that you can only do the three things? You know, like, you know, you can do so much more. And just because you haven't done everything on this job doesn't mean that you're not ready to apply for it. And I think what the being brave, not perfect is about is if you really do know yourself and you know what you're capable of, bet on yourself and put that foot forward. Yes, you may not always know exactly where you're going, but you've got your tools. We've got all these things that we can use to feel our way forward. And we don't always have to know exactly what we're going to get out of it, but you're going to get more if you keep going. And so I say, be brave, not perfect. Think about what that means for you and reach out to me. If you, you need to have someone to, to talk about that, I'm on LinkedIn. I get contacted by people all the time and it really gives me a lot of joy to talk with them about their journeys and where they're going and bet on yourself. This has been such an important and super valuable podcast. I feel like you have 
allowed us all to take away so much learning that we can put into our own day to day to be able to bet on ourselves. And thank you so much for sharing that. It's been a fantastic podcast. Thank you for joining me on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Thanks, Nadia. And thank you for everything you do for women and for this industry. We're better because of you.